Ringo Lam goes to jail for the third time and collaborates with Jean-Claude Van Damme also for a third time. No twins plot this time around though. And something weird is happening with JCVD's dialogue. There barely is any dialogue. Hello, the start of becoming an acclaimed actor. <laughs> My name is Kennedy. With me is Tom KW and this is the Director Series 26 on Ringo Lam's In Hell. Folks, welcome back to the next to last episode covering Ringo Lam's career. And we've reached the um, early 2000s. We've jumped a little bit back and forth, but we've reached the early 2000s nonetheless uh, once more, I suppose. So with 2003's In Hell, there was another 2003 movie that felt like hell watching it. And obviously that was looking for Mr. Perfect. But, uh, uh, but, but I, as we uh, talked blow, about, man. well, it was it was a low blow to us all watching that Talking movie. about full content part two that was a masterpiece as good as the first one the five minutes of simon yam it was quite a masterpiece <laughs> but you check the youtube compilation out of simon yam for that one that's all you need to to be fair that movie was made like a year or two before in hell and then came out um uh, after being shelled but uh, in hell presumably shot in 2002 or 2003 and uh, brought out the uh, director dvd or maybe in select uh areas of the world it played theatrically but in, indeed it is jean-claude van damme and ringo lamb teaming up for a third time after maximum risk and uh, replicant and is it uh, getting better and better well we'll get to that obviously intriguing. but intriguing. Uh, mm, intriguing yeah because uh, we we don't share our opinions necessarily to each other we're not so. we're not offering any opinions today no we're just gonna talk like this we're just gonna have a conversation and hope everyone enjoys it we're not even gonna talk about the films we're just gonna mention them briefly and then talk about other stuff we're gonna avoid conflict by simply stating that these movies exist yeah, I don't want any more beef. I've got a lot of beef at the moment, quite a bit, and I don't want any more. There's not enough room in my heart for more beef. We'll be safe and sound. So uh, let's uh, let's uh, t- like uh, walk on our tiptoes and uh, casually <laughs> get into the contact information that's also not controversial at all. So It's not. Oh. It, it isn't. Uh, this uh, director series that resides on the podcast on Fire Network uh, is uh, our series on directors and trying to um, cover the most out of the filmography sometimes uh, almost all the way sometimes all the way depending on um, it, it all depends on availability and Ringo Lamb's movies if I'm not mistaken we've been able to talk of each and every one of them because yeah. uh, they are all available We it's still up in the air but I, I just need someone to literally uh, read the Chinese poster to, to see if uh, if he's on there because he is still listed as co-director on Happy Ghost 3. Th- that info has come up like late in the timeline and I, I simply uh, I simply don't know. Uh, I he's think... credited on like HKMDB and stuff but I think nowhere else so we need someone to kind of yeah, yeah. look into that. You know, if it's if it's true, we'll get back to it and do a bonus thing. But it, it, if anything, it's like it, it should be part of the director series on Raymond Wong. <laughs> you know, because uh, it's he's the director of that, and he's the happy ghost and sort of the driving force behind that children's friendly uh, series. But uh, happy ghost quadrilogy episode coming soon. Is it quadrilogy <laughs> or quint quintilogy or what's... Well, uh, whatever five is. 
Is it Quint? I don't know. Please confirm. Whoever gets us back with the information about whether Ringo directed it, please confirm Quintology as a word for me. Thank you. Excellent. Well, in the meantime, uh, you can find the director series on podcastonfire.com along with all our other series. On, for instance, Hong Kong Cinema New and Old, we talk about Korean cinema, sleazy movies, we do bonus episodes every now and again, and even audio commentaries every now and again too. And uh, you can also email us, what's your favorite Ringo Lam movie? And if you have any thoughts on the director series or anything else, uh, please email us, podcastonfire at googlemail.com. Reach us on social media, and that's uh, the most doable way to do so, is clicking the handy buttons at the top of our website first leading to Facebook which will then uh, well sh- you really should after you're on Facebook after you leave a like on our page seek out our discussion group uh, where you'll find most show updates and discussion uh, threads and topics and that group is called Podcast on Fire Network and even participate in the screen cap frenzy thread if you have nothing to say uh, but uh, for all you mutes out there, just check the screen cap thread. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't my intention, by the way. Was it, it wasn't. I got, oh. I got to cater to everyone, man. <laughs> uh, Tom saw uh, saw through my uh, my tactics there, my non-confrontational tactics, as I crafted that thread. Universal so, tactics. I like should it, be man. in politics, man, because you can see through everything. Like, my yeah. podcast of the people, we are, honestly. But uh, you can also click the Twitter button to reach our Twitter feed. Click the iTunes button to subscribe Subscribe to us. And uh, if you use iTunes and catch us on Apple Podcasts, uh, do please uh, leave a rating and even a written review. Uh, so uh, Because we won't know. Do let us know in a constructive fashion uh, what we're doing uh, wrong, what we're doing right, uh, what we could be better at, and what we should do uh, less often, so forth. So uh, your voice uh, matters to us very much. And uh, for anyone who has taken the time to write something on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, thank you very much because that time is not something that I take for granted that you um, that you uh, take the time to share. So thank you very much. We appreciate it. What we don't appreciate is you complain about Ken talking over trailers in full 1080p. Any any uncertain possibilities about Ken's accent as well? It's not. Come on, guys. It's a low blow. Let's not go there. I don't blame people, really, because it, it, it's such a Frankenstein thing that probably sounds different depending on who I talk with. You know what I mean? Uh, so... It's uh, I don't blame people uh, that I'm Australian, Austrian, and Norwegian. Norwegian in one. Throwback. <laughs> and uh, at the end rate, uh, from that little tangent, we'll move over to uh, my review site. I write about Hong Kong and uh, Taiwanese movies of a variety of uh, genres over on SoGoodReviews.com. My video reviews are available at SleazyKVideo.com and my tweets are available at SoGood reviews tom i checked that uh, hello hello i checked that uh because you know i copy links from each and every post that i do over the years and i double check that your review archive is still present on the cinemashow.com that the link is up to date and the link is still there i know john's very tempted (laughs) no it shouldn't be it it leads to a review archive of uh, things that are attractive to readers whether spl2 or any other sort of then recent uh, movies so uh check that out for tom's uh, musings on uh, hong kong chinese uh, tony ja louis ku simon yam sort of mismatch of uh, of elements and whether that's any good or not Thanks, man. Because, because I assume Lewis Koo was in SPL2, or am I wrong? Lewis Koo was in SPL2, yeah. I don't think, I, I didn't do an SPL2 review, though, that, if that's what you're referring to. No, I think someone else got there before me, to be honest, man. Yeah, maybe their work was so good you thought it was not mine. 
I don't know. I was gonna say I don't know how you did that mix up. To be honest, it's clearly gonna be the quality is gonna be like really sky high up there. I don't know how you confused it from my review. You're you're right, but I was thinking of at least the recent things because you you reviewed it Man Free. Yeah, Man Free's uh, on there. Yeah, Chinese Zodiac Accident. Speaking of Louis Louis Koo, so yeah. uh, that's in. At any rate, uh, you'll find an SPL2 review on the cinemashow.com, and Tom's review archive is available, and we'll link to it. But uh, at any rate, we're gonna give you an idea of what's coming up in this show it may be basic and easy but i thought i'd let you know what sections are included in this director's series on ringo lambs in hell and uh, there are timestamps uh, in the show if you want to navigate through them and first we briefly review triangle which is the co-direct adventure between Choi hack ringo lamb and johnny toe well, is there too many cooks in the kitchen for one heist movie well find out what we think uh, shortly because uh, these aren't three separate short stories they they are sort of uh, handing off uh, ha- handing off to each other and Johnny Toe finishes mm. uh, the relay race of exactly. directors and we, which is not a concept I can uh, it doesn't feel like a hip concept so even back then and now it feels like oh that's a rather unique thing you don't hear about that too often no because you can you think of any other ones or any of the films no. that are like that i no. know there's that it's one... always anthologies yeah, usually yeah no. it's true there might be anthologies that are kind of linked together with certain sequences but never kind of one whole film third a uh, three-act film by three different directors so it's a, it's a unique concept and it's uh, not that easy to do, I, I imagine. Uh, uh, but uh, we'll uh, we'll uh, let you in uh, in terms of what we think of that movie in a, in a br- more brief discussion. After that, uh, we'll discuss some br- basic production background on In Hell, and we'll include the episode by review in that Sean Claude Van Damme movie. But the quick take section contains one movie, and it is Triangle from 2007. And uh, we won't do a big plot other than to say that it is a heist movie, and it's uh, co-directed by Choyak, Ringo Lam, and Johnny Toe, sort of in that order. It's a 90-minute movie, so presumably they did roughly 30 minutes each. And uh, perhaps uh, we'll put forth our respective theories in terms of when we think the handoff is. I have my theories, so maybe I'll ask you, uh, ask you uh, mid-discussion uh, where you think the sort of uh, seam seems are, so to say. Mm. But regardless, I'll hand it over to you for to deliver your opinions, uh, the brief opinions here in the quick take section of Triangle. It's it's solid, yeah, solid. Going into it, I thought it'd be a lot more uneven than it actually was. Fun, simple premise, handled well by all three directors. Um, for me personally, I don't know about you, Ken. Are we going to start some beef right now? I can hear, I can smell sizzling. Whose style uh, stands out most uh, to you? Choi, Choi Hark, Ringo Lam, or Johnny Toast? Its main selling point, I think, is the noirish intrigue of a Johnny Toe film, and I think it feels more his work than Lam or Hark's. And and also, it, also it is a Milky Way production, so it's done under the uh, sort of uh, that banner. Uh, even though I'm sure he left the others direct, other directors alone. Do you feel that that they they all did their individual part? Yeah, I think so. I mean, as you know, um, with Milky Way films, you know, Toe kind of has taken over certain projects from other directors or kind of ghost directed certain films in the past. So there could be a good chance. But I think with kind of, you know, how, uh, you know, powerful and kind of how well known the other two directors are, I don't think really, to be honest. And from what we've kind of read, it all seemed very uh, amicable. And it was basically Troy Hark setting up a 30 minute kind of film it's like a, almost like a teaser really and then getting the directors to kind of finish it off in their own fashion but I think the whole piece itself if you told me it's Johnny Toe film and he was the only one that directed I would believe you 
uh, does it clash for you in terms of well this style that feels so too different from the prior 30 minutes no not at all man no as i say i thought going into it would be a lot more even and i think I'd, re- I'd read reviews or maybe information saying that uh, you know people's opinions that maybe it's a bit uneven and the, the guys didn't have um each other's script for their individual parts they'd kind of know what was going on maybe they'd seen rushes and then they kind of continued it and there was kind of some errors in continuity and stuff but for me it was it, do- not it doesn't feel that loose to no, be honest not, where, at all, uh, not at all man it all fits well like Lewis Koo now only has one arm. Like what? That wasn't like like it's not sloppy that way. No, there was nothing like that. And I think even Lamb's point for me, or, or the, the part that I thought was kind of Ringo Lamb, that kind of middle half an hour, it still feels very Giant esque It's like quite haunting and quite intriguing, and there's kind of this supernatural element there that I, you know Lamb's not really played around with before. If it is Lamb, it's very individual and unique for him. But um, if it is Toe, I mean, it's kind of second nature to him. A lot of the kind of stuff um, in that middle section. So again, the cutoff point is a bit harder to to work out. I think it, I don't think it's as simple as kind of thirty, thirty, thirty. It's a bit more difficult. It's I think it's close to it, but not that close to it because I think I think that it's not like one did forty, one did twenty. So I, I I think it's they keep it lit to they try to keep it to one third. And I think my my theory as to when the Choi Hak handover happens is when essentially the movie enters daybreak. Essentially, when daybreak happens in the in the in, after thirty thirty five minutes, that's when Ringo Lamb sort of starts. Only a theory because I have no idea. No, true because it gets very intense at that point when the daylight hits. It gets very intense in terms of the characters and the characters' motives and people on certain people's backs and people chasing around. So I, I would tend to agree with that man. Again, the night stuff at the beginning or the the, the lead up to the night scene um, and the kind of the the theft and the kind of the heist feels very kind of Troy Hart very intriguing very kind of mysterious and then yeah kind of when the daylight hits that's when it gets a bit more kind of more actiony kind of based as people kind of chasing characters chasing each other and um well still a fairly quiet thing because they take refuge in a building for large portions of Ringo Lamb section so he does calm things down though so he uh, so so Ringo isn't doing all like street chase oh or no no yeah once it gets to that one point when it gets into that building before the third part kicks in yeah that's very because that yeah that's what I was saying before with with Lamb it doesn't if it is him it feels very unique it's a bit more quiet and a bit more kind of haunting and a bit more strange than something he'd normally do that section definitely is because we we, we got we got footage of him working in that uh, section oh. uh, the, the only thing I don't know is 100% if it did direct some of the outside day stuff but it just feels like we're about 30 minutes 32 mm. yeah I think Trohack has done his thing now it feels mm. like it anyway uh, when do you think uh, the handoff to Johnny Toe happens if you have any theory on that that back end is like classic Johnny Toe like that whole back end I mean it's you know intricate and clever setup for I mean stuff when we get to like the boat not the boathouse but the kind of restaurant on the dock mm-hmm. that for me is like intricate and clever setup for our characters to work through always pulled off with style and grace though like very Johnny Toe esque like it's kind of intriguing it's got that kind of a setup and something that kind of hoops the characters need to jump through and but it's all kind of delivered really you know seamlessly and fluidly very Johnny Toe esque so I think. When the characters get to, well, obviously, when Lamb Stewart obviously shows up, that's when it's, <laughs> that's probably the that's telltale sign. where it starts. Yeah, when he comes like shaking his head, like you know, kind of 
rocking out uh, with a bag of pills. That's probably the start of Johnny Toe's section. If my theory wasn't that, because I, you, I, I think you're spot on, it, his section to me would probably start when they go round around around it roundabout because it starts to become a little bit silly, and that's sort of Johnny Toe's dry, quirky humor on display there. Yeah, so the moment, the moment where she gets into the like the car, um, the, the car that's been abandoned by uh, Richie Jen's character with the hot dog in it. That feels very like Toe-esque, you know. It's almost kind of daft, but very poetic. And I think that's that's kind of Johnny Toe. A lot, a lot of stuff he does is like that. Uh, do you think uh, there, well, you know, when that plays out, uh, their confrontation at the restaurant? Um, because you know, Johnny Toe likes to play with environments and silences and uh, and uh, tension and stuff like that. Uh, so is he doing that in a somewhat fresh way, or is it uh, a reprisal of stuff he's done before to you? Yeah, it's it's kind of like, uh, yeah, it's kind of like like what Toad is best to be honest. But I think you know most of his films are like that. Um, sometimes he kind of flirts with a bit more, you know, French kind of new wavy kind of quirky whimsical style, and then sometimes he kind of reels it back and can be very stoic um, and a bit more mysterious. And I think he kind of treads that line very finely sometimes but sometimes he kind of delves into one or the other completely and i think this kind of treads the line quite well it's more kind of intriguing and and with a great setup and great payoff rather than kind of uh, you know in being a bit more kind of whimsical and and taking his time with stuff i think this feels very kind of classic classic johnny so is it therefore easy to say like his part the best or that's simply impossible to to answer yeah it's impossible because as i say it feels like a like a toe film in general so i think it all works to be honest like it all kind of sets up the next part very very well and it kind of culminates in a very classic you know toe-esque finale so mm. yeah i'd say it feels like his baby really especially with it being a milky way film as well and they don't do chapter breaks either to really make us feel stupid like it's all we directed this and you just watch it yeah yeah, and, uh, and I mean, I, I don't think it necessarily was super sold on the fact that each did 30 minutes. I, I think audiences maybe could think that all three directed at the same time. Who knows? It was never designed to be like three shorts in one. And like now Choi Huck's face is on screen. That means he's the one who like ding, ding, ding. He directed this. Like they, they don't make a fuss about that other than in the promotion, obviously, uh, appearing together at Cannes and all of that. And, uh, yeah, and, of course, of course. Uh, and I think that's better. I, ultimately, to don't... Uh, it might be a bit too narcissistic to sort of uh, advertise yourself uh, too much, like chapter two, Marengo stuff. <laughs> yeah, know? I mean, you could fall into kind of, uh, you know, being a not you know a bit, a bit pretentious, maybe a bit self-important, to be honest. Or you could maybe fall into the territory of, uh, yeah, as you say, advertising it too much as three separate parts and, you know, three short stories together rather than um, one kind of cohesive piece. I think I said Richie Jen before, but I meant Gordon Lamb's character. He's... Yeah, I was thinking of that. Like, uh, where was Richie? Where's Richie, man? Yeah, yeah, I meant Gordon Lamb's character who's... Yeah, part of because there's a lot. Of the, I love the the kind of triangle. It being you know symbolism of the three kind of main characters, a symbolism of the romantic triangle that's going on. There's a few different things that I picked up on, like the kind of the triangle theme, which is really interesting. Obviously, the three directors. So um, it's interesting. Yeah, it kind of works to that um, title without it being you know particularly uh, too obvious. 
What's your opinion, Ken? I've talked too much. No, I, I enjoy hearing you talk. That's why I'm inquisitive and uh, ask uh, questions and uh, things like that. Uh, it's it's more. It was more entertaining than I, than I remember. It part, it partly suffers from not being able to live up to the massive expectations. Yeah, no, that's true as well. But the thing is, you know, the thing is, I think as well. That if you said to me, say, in like. I don't know, like 1995 or something that this film was made, you might have higher expectations because of the bodies of work. But obviously with it being, you know, 2007 and the directors have made, you know, great films, but also not so great films. I think that probably helps. I think the expectations are a bit lower. For I think sure. if it come out, if it definitely, you know, if it come out maybe like, you know, 10 years before that, you know, 10, 15 years before that, the expectations probably would be a bit more higher and it might be... um a bit less kind of satisfying sure and that's a very uh, very good point indeed because they 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 were in a in a part of their career where where there's been uh, ups and downs and so forth but um there, there, there is some uneven tones here in between each segment and i'll i'll run through it here um so it's an odd little heist movie in a way uh, because the tones are distinctly they, they cohere but it, the, the, the tones are a little bit different between each segment uh, Choi Hak, for instance moves fast through his with free-for-all camera placements there's rapid cutting and mm. uh, there's almost um free for all where this mystery character in black enters and exits like a ghost in the movie and that's obviously uh the way the character set off to to get the gold to get the money this easy easy out because it's way too easy to just be handed the actual uh money to you which that character essentially does and uh the, the characters are distinctly set up one has a little bit of cold feet uh simon yam's character one is desperate and wide-eyed which is lewis ku's character uh which i thought was funny and the uh, one is cool and in control which is uh a very cool performer sun hong lei uh really liked his performance in um, yeah it's great in particular so Choi Hak is doing like a little bit of a little bit though of uh, his time and tide tactics where he likes to navigate the camera his way it's intensely close it moves about in scenes that requires no movement but he moves the camera anyway at, at, at one point he shoots like uh, Sun Hong Lei is like uh, lower frame and half his face can only be seen so Choi Hak is literally almost not shooting his actors it's almost like cla- kind of classic Joy Hawk before he started doing the kind of, you know, CGI, more CGI-based stuff. You know, it feels more kind of his, like, late 90s stuff than it does maybe kind of early 2000s stuff. You know, it's stuff that he'd started doing then. Yeah, Urban Tension he does well, but also uh, he can be playful as seen in Time and Tide. Uh, and, and there is decent uh, tension here. And uh, the, the, there are signs of uh, this world being able uh, to turn intense because that attack on Gordon Lamb where he's strangled with the steel wire in the alley and he gets out of it almost like, you know, an animal fighting for his life. And I like that a lot, actually. Chorax uh, sets up the highest and the intensity quite well. Then Ringo Lamb comes in and calms things down. And for some reason he characterizes Louis Koo as not being able to put on a jacket properly because Louis Louis Koo walks around with his jacket uh, of you know uh, on his uh, on his uh, stomach essentially that was actually <laughs> what the film was based around that was his idea initially Joy Hark it was like what if there's a film where Louis cannot put on a jacket and he wasn't overtly tanned Let's and he triangle. walks around like that for a couple of scenes as well for no <laughs> apparent reasons I, I thought it was a funny image but I was like really okay. that's what I watched the film for everything else was just a bonus man it was just seeing how well he didn't wear that jacket for me personally <laughs> 
but uh, it continues so some cracking violence here or well, li- literally some cracking violence gordon lamb he uh, cracks a windshield with his head as uh, as a car breaks i think that's quite effective and he gets tortured Ringo Lamb style by being uh, cuffed to a car and then obviously he uh, takes out his feet underneath him whoever does that whether it was Simon Yam or Son Hong Lei De- then the movie you know it comes down and gets into that place uh, that indoor place and uh, they-, they talk a little bit about desperation within the heist and uh, Sun Hung Lei says a quote about you do what you hate the most when you're desperate and while he's cool there's a little bit of fake psychological uh, tangents here that's a bit um, bit far-fetched and, uh, and and then I didn't buy that Simon Yam's Sam would be cold enough to consider killing his wife and then they, Ringo Lam starts to put forth this almost surreal dysfunc- uh, dysfunction as uh, you got a vinyl record playing in that abandoned space and then there's the yeah. dawn sequence and I, and I yeah I maybe it's on the edge sort of shared madness between his wife and him but it wasn't the next part of the heist movie I maybe was looking for I didn't expect it either and I'm all for Ringo being playful but that deep dive into psycholo- uh, psychology it didn't land necessarily. It, it, it's partly about also the distrust that breaks the triangle. Yeah. It uh, may, maybe again the, the problem can be too that I like Choi Hak's section and then this happened and may, maybe that's the sort of problem with a triangle movie like this that um, you're rapidly thrown into another vision. Um, mm. uh, so, so maybe on its own it plays a little bit better. But then when uh, when when Johnny Toe enters the picture, we got a tone shift again. It's more droll. It's uh, not introspective or edgy anymore. Lewis Koo got his jacket on the right way. Toe made sure. He made sure. Exactly. For a while it felt like, I don't think it's a good thing that this felt like a different movie uh, 40 minutes ago. But then Johnny Toe makes you feel very comfortable because uh, now the heist um, argues well that it should be multi-mood. Because Johnny Toe is good at bringing uh, the, tense, the tense and the bizarre and it's it's a lot of fun. It's not deadly, violent, and serious. It doesn't feel like it because sometimes Johnny Toe doesn't seem like he wants to be that serious, even though people are pointing guns at each other. And uh, then again, it's also hard to take serious when Lam Suit is this crazy guy with Parkinson's putting out like a nail traps because at yeah, one point, like the cop, the, the cop has caught this like nail on a board, a little board kind of trap. So. <laughs> I was almost expecting him to be in because like, like, it's a joy to a film like oh, it has to be and I was thinking okay well if he co-directed it is he going to be in it and it obviously shows up and I'm like yeah there you go this is where you know Toe's portion starts but I, I really like the, the the confrontation in the restaurant because there, there's so many things that drop in where the characters or unexpected elements uh, and, and all those cold stares between characters as they react you know Lewis Koo is still wide-eyed and I think he's very good in the movie actually and, and then when they get to the whole uh, grass Maze. I think that's an, a, such a great image as uh, they run around in this overhead shot. You know, we see where they all are, but they are running around in the grass. And to me, that's funny, Tom. I don't think Toe is going for all comedy, but there's a droll sense here that this, uh, you know, this deadly heist sort of gone wrong, people trying to get the money. Sometimes 
us chasing each other could look a bit foolish and he as a director you know god almighty god watching this from above he's gonna make them all look a little bit silly running around in the grass and uh, it's it's gimmicky granted but i i, I enjoy that and i think he i i, I think he was uh, at the top of his game here i think uh, it doesn't feel rehashed or anything because sometimes you do feel like oh yeah he's doing the same thing and it's not working out uh evidence in question vengeance which i thought was like yeah nope, that yeah, didn't yeah, yeah. land that didn't land despite it was kind of like the greatest it's collection of kind of what toe's good at you know uh, in, in kind of one film wasn't it really and kind of each element not as powerful as he's done before but uh, ultimately it feels like three in one two are generally good one Ringo's unfortunately a little bit too uneven for me but overall tell it's entertaining and it's fast moving and Toe argues by himself almost that it was okay that the whole package had contrasts um, including his uh, part so ultimately all very enjoyable also bonus points for the fact that this is a um, we have Cantonese and Mandarin speaking characters and they all mix and match that language on the same track so Sun Hung Lei isn't dubbed and vice versa on the Mandarin track so that's always uh, good good, uh, good attention to quality I think and professionalism yeah, they do. And I think you have obviously Cheng Sukeng obviously serving as cinematographer, who is obviously a frequent collaborator, yeah, with Toe, which means that you you know, you get that kind of Toe vibe with each of them. But yeah, as you say, man, I think yeah, that's that's kinda of joint toe in general. There's always you know, gimmick's probably the wrong word, but there's always these setups, these very you know, these obstacles that the characters need to get over that are always really intriguing. And I think he always pulls it off really smoothly. It's never I mean, you can sometimes get a bit confusing. Normally kind of walks that line you know that fine line very well between kind of a lot of stuff hitting you but also you understanding it at the same time and i think here he, he does that but yeah i think the, the, the cast is uniformly good kelly lynn is always a bit here and there i think with the role sometimes you know she's really selling it sometimes she's not free directors the, the sometimes the cast is a victim of the free directors unfortunately very true, mate. Yeah, very true. But I think everyone else is kind of uniformly great through it. And that, you know, that middle section, I, it, it kind of it worked for me. I think it was, it did feel a bit more Choi Hark or a bit more Johnny Toe than it did Ringo Lamb. But, you know, it still works. But it did feel a bit, maybe, yeah, like a little interlude between the setup and the payoff. It was kind of, yeah, a bit more. I think it was more the attention to characters he provided. Uh, the, the execution was a bit odd because he was going for such a sort of a, that that you know the the dance sequence uh, that's also video taped it felt a little bit too um, artistic than i was um, personally comfortable with uh, yeah. and and i'm talking about in terms of how the movie was playing out before me not uh, just because it was ringo uh, but uh, in general i i thought it was all good i'm happy to return to it again because i i i, I dig the experiment and uh, for what it was uh, it was fun that they did it and uh, didn't mean that everybody had to do it subsequently um, because it's a difficult thing to do so um, and getting everybody to work around the same time to align schedules <laughs> so yeah true i think i think they were gonna they, they were they, they basically they'd chosen a time to shoot it but i think they ended up just uh, like getting it done even faster because there was like a really good positive response to um hawk's part I think that they kind of, I don't know whether they'd shown it around or they'd, they'd shown around festivals or whatever or distributors or whatever, but from what I've heard, yeah, is that they were so intrigued by that first part, they actually kind of rushed to get 
the second and third part done. Uh, so yes, let's uh, move on to the main portion of this episode, and that is our discussion of In Hell from 2003, and plot from user Matt uh, Pat McCurry on IMDb. Uh, Kyle LeBlanc, uh, played by Jean-Claude Van Damme, is an American working overseas in Russia. When he hears his wife is being attacked over the phone, he rushes home to find that it's too late. The man who killed his wife is uh, found uh, not guilty, subsequently due to lack of evidence, so Kyle takes the law into his own hands and kills the man uh, in in the courthouse to avenge his wife's death and uh, therefore he's sentenced to life in prison without parole in Russia and the Russia prison he, prison he is sent to is tough and the warden amuses himself by putting on fights where he fills uh, his pockets with money by betting on the fights uh, Kyle uh, begins to break and go crazy so uh, and uh, after he's uh, sort of uh, done that and built himself up he's forced into these fights because the warden knows it's a sure thing but Kyle's cellmate uh, only referred to by his uh, number 451 played by Lawrence Taylor makes him realize that uh, Kyle is fight uh, what Kyle is fighting for and what he should be fighting for and uh, therefore he must uh, fight another battle uh, not, not a physical battle but the fight for inner peace Sounds uh, rather, I mean, you know, peace. It's a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie. Well, that uh, has a point. Uh, there's a point to that being in the movie. Uh, but uh, we'll get to it. Uh, some background on it based on the 15-minute um, featurette that was created during shooting. It wasn't on my DVD that I bought, but uh, it's on it's online, though, that featurette. Um, yeah. uh, so some making of notes from that one. Um, a cinematographer, uh, John Aronson, for instance, talks about the movie being a challenge and uh, that Ringo was a challenge to work with because he, true to the Hong Kong way, likes to work quick and keep things moving. And uh, the documentary crew of this uh, promotional featurette even catches uh, some somewhat heated discussions on set um, between Ringo and crew about the camera placement. Uh, but they, as the interviewees state, Ringo lives and breathes to work 24 hours a day and doesn't have patience for incorrectness and slow work. Chop, chop, mate. Chop, chop when you're on uh, Ringo's set. Exactly. That's the Hong Kong way. So, But no one really speaks negatively about him. It can be tense. But uh, it's productive, and uh, the quality usually is uh, usually up there. Uh, actors uh, talk of uh, Ringo's direction, such as if it's fake, you're out of the movie. But instead, if you use your heart, if you embody the truth, and if you do, I don't care how it sounds and looks. So therefore, he can be a hands-off director if he senses that the actors are into it, which is kind of a neat, uh, neat uh, working point there. Because uh, so, so he's not uh, using them as puppets uh, necessarily. Like uh, you say it, like each and every line needs to be perfect, and you need to move in a certain way. No, embody the truth. He's striving for that realism, isn't he? I suppose he's, you know, he expects that off the actors as well. Exactly, and that's the Ringo we sort of know. I think yeah, it's not often we get to hear about it, but because. Hong Kong movies don't have that extensive making off, but here it's more interesting to hear from a Western perspective yeah. what they pick up on. That sort of makes sense for us as viewers of this, uh, you know, lifelong viewers of this. And the actor Lawrence Taylor even takes the time amidst uh, all of this to state from his point of view that Ringo has probably turned Jean-Claude Van Damme into a better actor. Uh, because they they sync up, uh, they have a working relationship by now, and uh, yeah, yeah, obviously the piece that we talk about is a promo piece, but you can still sense that Jean Claude at this stage in his career, 2003, really does feel it's going to be yeah. his best movie. Uh, it feels sincere the way he speaks and the way he, you know, his posture is. Um, I find that quite inspiring to hear that. Uh, 
there sometimes you get paired up multiple times just because you're in the same industry but i think yeah three times is not an accident you know what i mean that that, that, that they're working have worked three times uh thankfully not a twins plot as i said again like <laughs> the twins are going to jail <laughs> yeah he's like literally we've had enough of the twins now so, all right <laughs> come on come on dude let's just do something else uh, also in the documentary is uh, David Leach, the stunt coordinator and second unit director. And if you are familiar with that name, by the way, David Leach is the director of Deadpool 2 and Atomic Blonde. That also is in currently at the time of recording. He's been talked of as being the potential director for a potential Enter the Dragon remake, which uh, triggers conversation. I have no real opinion because I have no real uh, relationship with Enter the Dragon other than I'm going to say something that sounds very like why would this be part of the conversation so but I'm just going to say it anyway don't do the mistake that Ghost in the Shell did because uh, what Ghost in the Shell did they proved the naysayers right Uh, I don't know if you've seen the the library make but uh, the the reveal towards the end made me go, oh, no, you were all right up until that point. Why <laughs> would you prove the naysayers right by doing what you just did? Ouch. No, because do you know what, man? Because I don't get upset because I don't have to watch these remakes. And a lot of people on the internet feel like they have to for some reason that, you know, they're going to be killed if they don't see the remake of their favorite film. It's like, dude... You know, it's coming out. Forget about it. Who cares, man? The original's not going anywhere. We can just hope that in other areas of the industry, that issue of uh, Asians, whether Asian Americans or, or people cast out of Hong Kong, China or whatever, that they get a chance to uh, merge with the industry a little bit more, whether it's the remakes or not. Yeah, definitely. I think that's, that's you know, that's kind of a completely different point in that, yeah, there needs to be more um, involvement. Um, we definitely with, with with a lot of Asian actors, um, just in kind of you know American cinema in general, and stuntmen need to get their due, and you know that's yeah, completely different point. So the point is that if they're remaking a film, they want to make some money on a on a name and a franchise, just whatever, let them do it. I mean, it's it's one of them. I mean, it's the, the original film is is not going anywhere. So, and and the, the reason I don't have a relationship with Enter the Dragon is that I'm, I'm I'm cool with whatever, but I haven't seen it since VHS. Like it's one of those like really? um. I, I probably need to rewatch that sometime yeah, soon because I've seen yeah, the other Bruce Lee movies multiple times. So, uh, uh, but but anyway, David Leach was the stunt coordinator and second unit director on In Hell, and he's also an actor in the film. He plays Paul, the brother of uh, the murdered wife. Uh, so Jean Claude has two visits from an American, that and that is uh, David, uh, because uh, he was an American and uh, apparently was comfortable enough acting for a few minutes. So into the movie you go. But David <laughs> talks of uh, when you're telling story truthfully you must sometimes tell it with violence and Ringo is all about the reality and the real violence so on this production you clearly had Ringo very present he was hired to continue to express his cinematic voice Uh, someone said in the featurette he pushes every shot to the limit and every shot is a chore Uh, and uh, it might be David who said it I'm sweating thinking to myself we're gonna hurt somebody <laughs> and uh, as Ringo has said previously, like stunts are planned in Hong Kong, and sometimes you can't control if someone gets hurt. But that happens on new movies too. So, but we're not reckless filmmakers. Uh, and uh, f- finally, uh, a quote. Uh, maybe this was from David as well. Usually, it's easy. With Ringo, it's never easy. And uh, that doesn't mean Ringo is an asshole. That's not what anyone is communicating. But it's the impact on screen that requires a hard 
working method and maybe a hard personality to drive he it through. He knows what he wants. Yeah, he knows what he wants. You know, as a director, he has a vision and he, he wants to kind of, you know, see that played out. And I've never heard a Ringo Eason ass on screen. So, someone who admits he be, he goes mad shooting certain movies and then he laughs about it afterwards, which is oddly endearing. And that is Choi Hak. Yeah, uh, Choi yeah. Hak says, I, I'm, I'm yelling and I go mad and I'll, 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 if I'm dissatisfied, I'll just take the camera and roll it myself, i.e. in the blade, which is one of those. Yeah, 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 yeah. But he's yeah. always so funny when he talks about it. Like, I, 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 I become mad and I yelled at everybody. And I remember the story of um, uh, in, in the blade, uh, his uh, co-writer, maybe co-producer, Quan Hoi, said that after they were done shooting the blade, it was, you know, the final shot, Choi Hak just stormed out. Not a thank you or anything, just I'm done. <laughs> for, for for some reason, I've never, I, I can't dislike Choi Hag when he tells, when he's happy about it, telling that story. Uh, and it, it, it doesn't seem like he's a bully necessarily. Uh, oh, again, just a, you know, kind of artist who, you know, wants, he wants his vision put on screen, you know, he wants kind of everything to go smoothly and he, you know, he knows what he wants as his final outcome. At least he's self-aware. It's a very, it's yeah, very much so. Yeah, so it's all, almost endearing, uh, but uh, maybe not uh, easy to work with. Uh, uh, I, the behind-the-scenes stuff on Triangle that was shot with a DVD, it was merely they were just talking and setting up stuff. Uh, you know, they were on the highway at that point. Uh, you can actually see uh, the director, uh, Soi Chang, um, is actually like, one of uh, one of Choi Hak's uh, close assistants on that movie. His extent. He got credit in the... Well, he was credited in the end credits, yeah, and I can't remember what it was for. But uh, it seems like, you know, assistant director or... Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I think he was. Yeah, I think he was assistant director, actually. And, yeah. and, and he was still in the midst of his directing career at that point. Uh, Soi Chang, uh, he, he'd done Accident. Um, uh, yeah, the one with... Um, the car film with Anthony Wong was this year, wasn't it? That year. Um, Mo... Motorway, Motorway. Pro- yes. and, and subsequently he did the two Monkey King movies with Aaron Kwok, yeah, two and three. Uh, but at any rate, uh, that's uh, in hell for you. Let's uh, throw over to Tom for some brief opinion, first of all, of Jean-Claude Van Damme's uh, In Hell, directed by Ringo Lam. The pals get together for a third time, and how was it? Mate, I think it's probably the best of their collaborations, because it's powerful and relentless, but it is the least fun. But again, it, it feels like a real kind of like a tonal shift from the last two films. Um, and it really feels like a kind of a Hong Kong film um, or a, a Ringo Lam Hong Kong film with Van Damme in it. Yeah, very, very good opinion. I think uh, I, I'll agree with that. It's a competent, sometimes even surprising prison drama. I emphasize drama actually a little bit. It reminds you of a ton of prison movies, but uh, has got enough positive in terms of dirty, gritty violence where you can forget cliches and the chosen fights and stunts that you see are very compelling actually uh, and you get to see um, a very down to earth gritty and almost uh, no style uh, speaking of Bruce Lee it's a style of no style uh, and and you get to see Van Damme working the non-verbal in a welcome turn of events actually uh, not that he can't act but I like when someone says well let's put forth some strengths by um being present instead, you know, and not saying too much. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it feels like, oh, it's a director video, but it's still a bit way above average than most uh, director video. It's trying more rather than quickly shooting and shooting out on the market. So regardless if this got a theatrical release anywhere, it's uh, way more competent than you might think uh, for what se- seems like a DTV title. 
Yeah, I think it, it was. It was just um, maybe possibly in America that was kind of where it was, you know, straight to DVD. But I think in a lot of other countries it did play theatrically. But it never felt like, a, for me, like a direct-to-video feature. You know, it works well. I suppose if you did have budgetary restraints, it works well in that a little bit, locations yeah. aren't, yes. you know, all over the place. It's very, obviously, it's in kind of one location. Um, I think they shot in like, a, <laughs> yeah, they shot like in a factory, didn't they, or a disused factory. So, you, and it, you know, it, it feels very kind of, you know, cramped and, and, and there's a lot of, you know, people cramped into kind of one place um, and you really feel that. And that never, you know, there's a few maybe dodgy effects in there or something um i don't remember any dodgy effects to be honest uh planes it looked a bit terrible oh yeah of course yeah. other yeah. than that i mean everything else is good and you have like the main kind it's of 2003 CGI. so yeah yeah you have that main but on the one hand you have that but then you have the kind of main i say like a big part of the film the cgi character this kind of moth that you know looks good and is very well animated so yeah mixed mixed bag mixed bag i wouldn't be there for it in terms of uh if jean-claude was on the outs career-wise, despite teaming up with Ringo multiple times and logging work yeah, continually despite being direct-to-DVD. But I still got a gut feeling, Tom, that his maturity and growth as an actor started to show more and more around the new millennium, if not yeah, the, if not via this movie. And I mean, obviously, it came across our screens full tilt with the sort of meta and introspective movie jcvd five years later where he played that fictional version of himself so for you it, it, does it start in a particular point in terms of all that oh yeah jean-claude has changed and his acting is becoming better is it this movie is it later for you or do you have any spontaneous thoughts on that yeah no i think so man i mean again i think like he started the whole directive you think i think it was maybe inferno or the order um was like his first one um that was directed video and the thing is he was you know he still had a career there um he was still kind of wanted you know it was just maybe like theatrically he wasn't a big box office draw like he'd been to the 90s but in terms of like him and his career like right then he'd he'd suffered obviously his kind of drug addiction and um i think at that point he'd been like diagnosed with bipolar and stuff like that um, so he'd had a few mental issues then that maybe at this point, I think he was starting to see a lot more kind of clearly his career and kind of the path it was on. And then maybe made uh, the maturity, maybe made an active decision to kind of start doing stuff that was a bit more serious and relied less on, you know, his acting, his, his action. No splits in either this or, well, well, in Replicant, we have some of that stuff, but he actually plays a part of the story that, uh, you know, that the clone in Replicant grows physically because he's working off DNA for someone else. You know, so, so it's, almost, uh, this, uh, it's almost clever the way they inject the Jean-Claude physicality in Replicant also by Ringo. And it was never losing his kind of physicality and that kind of action side of him. It was more, you know, focus. Again, you know, as we said, with Replicant, there is that. But again, there's more focus on him acting and again, more like silent acting from him. What did you think of um, JCVD, the movie, if you ever saw it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, it is very self-aware. Um, and I think that's kind of how JCVD has survived, really, and kind of looking at his career and the ups and downs he's had and, and the problems he's had kind of mentally and with drugs and stuff and, and his, you know, all these kind of things that we hear about. And it, 
I think it was him getting past that and kind of looking very self-aware of his career and seeing where he is and starting to see himself as maybe how other people see him. You know, not how other people see him, but kind of seeing the, the image that he carved out for himself in a different light. Very much. And if you ever get a chance, you or listeners, uh, get the UK Blu-ray of JCVD because it has two documentaries on there and both at times capture that he had trouble not not trouble he was he was afraid how this was going to be perceived how yeah. he was even going to be able to play this fictional version of himself that has suffered through hardships which he has as well obviously the big monologue uh, towards the end of the movie is not just a character jcvd but it plays to reality to a degree as well and yeah. understandably he was afraid man and he didn't know afterwards if uh, he was gonna be able to accept that he even did this and but he trusted his young director to to get him through it and so it, it it's endearing uh definitely so if you get a chance to watch those docs uh get the um uk blu-ray of uh, jc vd growth by the way tom is also realizing when it's time to get away from formula so this yeah. doesn't feel like a jean-claude van damme formulaic movie or anything uh, which is uh very inspiring that uh he's there to um you know perform physical stuff uh, but also to get into the mental headspace of the character and uh, that's what we do we also show uh, get shown initially that uh, there's no messing around here Ringo is here to portray violence so there's a little bit of um, dental work going on at the beginning of the movie and then it's like oh my god it's a prison gore movie yeah yeah I think it's that it's that atmosphere it's like um, it's a bleak tone it's very similar to you know how school on fire is it just feels dangerous and unsympathetic it feels like you know anyone could get hurt anyone could die um, there's just no prisoners and like no shits given in terms of kind of um, the way that, that the characters kind of interact with each other. Yeah, yeah, very much. That, that works. The, 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 one of the only negatives, to be honest, but thankfully it's at the beginning and it's over quickly, is the sort of overly stylized home invasion because the, the electricity, is, electricity is cut and the, uh, the, the, the villain rapist is this perfectly groomed uh, uh, <laughs> no criminal but then again well, what Ringo does to sort of uh, catch us unaware is the almost uh, out of blue uh, stabbing that happens like not one minute into what seems to be a rape scene and uh, and then the stabbing happens and then boom the wife is out so he uh, switches gears there which is uh, compelling mm. and, and then when Jean-Claude obviously is chasing the guy he's not fighting the guy it's a chase uh, through the streets there in Russia through or onto a train you've got some stunt work here and I have to say the stunt work is um, obviously it's not just Ringo you got David Leach there to work with Ringo but there's a sense here of these two stunts here at the beginning of the movie one being the fall out of the window and one yeah. being the bike going over a character right yeah those two stunts they're very good and it screams to me Tom something we found out during the series that Ringo is pretty meticulous and he's not gonna let go until he feels it's right and that those two stunts feels like real gritty stunts that must feel that way they must feel a certain way and they do because when that guy gets run over by the bike that it it, it felt to me tom it it feels uh, substantial to me and not just let's do stunts for the sake of stunts or anything uh no i mean that's that's ringo's style in general isn't it i think it's never kind of flashy never feels kind of um not 
organic to the plot or you know inorganic you you say to the plot it, it feels always like it goes with the story it goes with the flow it's happening for a reason um and obviously a lot of time especially uh, with most of his work um there's like an emotion to it as well i think again it's it's kind of perfectly encapsulated at the start of this film encapsulated at the start of this film i'd say yeah it's a bit it's a bit flashy and the editing's kind of a bit different but i think a lot of the editing this is a bit more a lot it's a lot more quick cut than usual i felt like throughout the film so i think what you're hinting at there with the beginning scene i think a lot of the film is like that it's a bit more quick cut than a bit more than you would expect from a ringo film not massively detrimental but i think it's a bit more than usual you can definitely feel it's like the early 2000s are kind of happening you know, you know what I mean? more modern and hip and i know well not no I, I personally think that very few directors get such style correct and one of the few ones that do get it correct in my eyes is, is the likes of tony scott i always like the way he utilized those tried all tricks because he was a little bit more of an artist just my opinion though i don't know if if they shot in russia necessarily but certainly this one offers up this um, tougher prison environment at least on paper and lots of prison cli- prison cliches and all of that is that something it has to overcome you think to get past cliches and common characters or it just plays and just lands and it's perfectly all right to have evil prison wardens and uh, and uh, evil prison heads uh, you know and all of that so is that ever a problem in terms of cliches or does it pass those quickly and efficiently no i don't think so man. i don't think cliches are a bad thing especially if you're working within a certain genre and you're working kind of within the the prison uh, you know film genre there's always going to be you know there's cliches there it depends on what you do with them and i think there's enough surprises in this and it kind of plays enough with the characters and the kind of emotions going on um, that it doesn't really feel stale to me. I think in a prison film, you have to hit certain beats, don't you? I agree. I mean, it uh, it has the types, but uh, its its atmosphere is good enough and the dramatic side is good enough and we see effective violence you know having been grim it's his grim it's going to be fairly grim and like even violent moments like the character of billy being having his head hit against the bunk bed post mm. before yeah. he before he's raped that again it's it's a matter of getting such stunts right you know to smash someone against a hard surface whether a wall or a little pole in this case you know the bunk bed pole those moments stick with me tom like you read about because um it just screams to me that that's that comes from Ringo. That's something that needs to be uh, almost sadistically correct for the movie, you know. Yeah, I mean he's he's, he's exact, isn't he? And I was saying exactly. before, it's, you know, he's exact with it, and it, it it happens. He's very, it's like nuanced violence, you know. It's never kind of a mess. It's always really gritty, and and you know he does focus more of kind of like you know uh, these little spurts of of action or these these kind of brawls but they're always uh, done with kind of a certainty with them you know a confidence with the action and and it's 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 never kind of wishy-washy but i think the action in this is not really a showcase as we said before you know getting a bit further away from van damme's usual style it's more an emphasis on very ringo like kind of gritty brawling more wrestling and grappling um rather than but again again i mean it's it's good stuff it's just not really what the emphasis of the film is about the film is more on this dramatic you know story and more on kind of this uh, self-discovery uh, you know or this this journey that van Damme has to go on you know it does not sound like pretentious but it, it's it's that's kind of what he's doing that's exactly what it is but both elements have a place thankfully it's not like yeah. the movie stops for a dramatic set piece and forgets about 
its other intentions or stops for a fight set pace and forgets about its dramatic intentions i i think they all flow together it's about the smaller moments being very correct and precise uh, even when characters are you know there's the cliche of fights breaking out in the mess hall and people are thrown over tables and even those moments tom i think is something that ringo says that has to be correct i need to feel that 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 needs to be embodied and david certainly proves his chops uh, as a coordinator in that regard but you are right the dramatic side is strong here there's an endurance test mentally for the character that uh, starts when he's put into the the, the solitary confinement which is uh, conveniently located where all the uh, liquid poop comes out as well <laughs> it's a good way of putting it yeah <laughs> I was going to say ass gravy, but that's probably a bit better, mate, yeah. Yeah, uh, good good way to sort of like, yes, it is that nasty. And uh, it's not this sort of fake, fakey, fakey build on a stage. It feels like a room that they found and then put some fake ass gravy there. And uh, then started Van Damme's uh, journey that doesn't, I, I think it's fairly brave. The way they emphasize the fact that he gives up multiple times. And he wants to give up even when it seems like he's picking himself up, but then he wants to give up as well. It's, it's, it's very... Because he's not a fighter. The LeBlanc character is not uh, this... Uh, you know his background. He was a Navy SEAL, and then he's in jail. Like, he, he, he's not. <laughs> yeah. He's not. So no wonder someone would be deflated. And uh, and then Ringo brings in, you know, as he said, that um, scene that might not be as literal as we see it on screen. Or, uh, the scene with the moth that literally picks him out of the crap and uh, makes him feel hope again i'm curious to hear your views but i think this was both brave and um, kind of unusual what's the word it's good it's affecting and i didn't expect it to be and it neatly avoids uh, the cheese of it all because i, I think both ringo and Sean claude are ready to make the drama that surrounds the fact that Sean claude gets picked up by a moth that may or may not be there as physically as we see in the movie. I think there's a case for some of it is playing in his head, you know. No, I agree with you, mate. Yeah, it's more kind of a symbol of, as I say, like him kind of yeah, coming to terms kind of mentally with what he's going through and what he has to do. It's good, man. That, that's what I was saying about I think it's it doesn't feel like, you know, that kind of direct-to-video vibe because it's not just kind of giving... It's not a kind of just exploitation-y vibe. It's not just giving you kind of action and violence. It's giving you this dramatic plot, you know, this kind of journey for kind of Van Damme's character. I think once that happens, then I started to think less about this being, you know, somewhat of a direct-to-video in feel. Or once I felt the drama started to build, and I thought like, oh my god, this is way more competent than you might think. Uh, from maybe even director uh, 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 both uh, from Van Damme's side and Ringo's side they're, they're going for something new together which was very um, very nice to see and very com- confident as they execute it because uh, they they write that scene and that issue of uh, the moth possibly you know well in his head being a representation of his wife and her strength yeah, yeah. and the freedom and, and kind of yeah like holding on to kind of you know that kind of the freedom or with it, with that kind of that direction to kind of try and find some kind of mental stability and kind of freedom with, with, you know, compared to physically where he is. I, I think, yeah, it's really interesting kind of what, what, what Ringo does with that element of the film. 
And, and, and the effect is quite solid also, because uh, the moth is obviously not a physical insect or anything. It's uh, purely CG, but... Um, yeah, it works really well, yeah. Way better than the planes that go over the prison. <laughs> a little bit better, yeah. For some reason, the, the more tricky effect is way better, while the easier effect of just having things pass by in the distance looks, looks uh, more hokey. I don't know what that is. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. I think they they specifically said that they shot Van Dam uh, in the making of we talked about. It, they shot Van Dam reacting to it, uh, the moth, and then they just placed it on top. So maybe it was a bit easier because they already had Van Dam's reaction to it. Possibly, I don't know. Yeah, but uh, so it, it has a valid uh, dramatic sense here, and uh, I'm I'm very glad to have this development on because I don't know if you can ever accuse Jean Claude for being the kind of action star that hogged the movies you know sort of uh he, he became the centerpiece of the movie because he had the lines and he had the splits that's all good and fun I- i'm glad that we've gotten away from that though that no one is sort of saying that we gotta make it just like it was otherwise it's not sean claude van damme i'm glad we're getting away from that because it it takes a little bit more brave bravery to uh go from being such a star to play him more vulnerable and not the Superman at all. And then it all culminated, yeah. as we said, in JCVD, you know, big time. Yeah, it's true. Because maybe cinematically, you know, he the kind of uh, he was becoming less of a box office draw, sadly. Um, and because of the fact he was going to his direct-to-video market, maybe he felt like there was less of a spotlight on him. So he could, you know, become a bit more kind of self-aware or, again do these more dramatic roles rather than these kind of more you know just action kind of pieces how was um you know because i I haven't watched a lot of his output i mean i haven't watched uh, all those universal soldier sequels but Mm. in general how has it been his output because i know he works a lot has it has it had highs and lows in terms of quality across uh movies since then whether universal soldier or you know pound of flesh or whatever or how how has your experience been with van damme movies yeah i think he's, he's had like a new lease of life as you say with um jcvd in particular but obviously his work with uh john holmes which he did the universal soldier uh sequels with i think it's given him kind of like yeah a new audience to be honest he's kind of dodged the kind of the bullet of being stuck on director video and he's slowly coming into his own um back in theatrical films even his small parts expendables uh he did was in the kung fu panda films in two or three um he did, yeah, a, com- he did a comedy I-, I was gonna see but then forgot about it he plays this uh, uh sort of uh this company it takes like a uh they do a company retreat and then they are led by this uh, you know survive you know he knows the jungle uh, is it welcome to the jungle it's or? called welcome to the jungle yeah, yeah. yeah and and i thought that sounded fun because uh he was cast in almost a big uh this big comedy and probably was going to be able to make fun of himself and was very self-aware and and uh, and then obviously you had that uh, i think he only ran for one season but still i heard sean claude van johnson was very good at the tv series where he plays uh Jean-Claude Van Damme, who's actually this, uh, working for the CIA or something, and all those movie roles were actual missions. Uh, yeah, I've not seen that, but yeah, I've heard it's really good. I'm also interested in this um, that Full Love film that he's been um, working on. It's kind of his, 
you know, what would you call it? His kind of like... Um, Magnum opus. Yes, yes, yeah. Um, which he's a produced, written, edited, directed it. Um, it's him and I think his, his daughter's in it as well. Um, and again, I think it's been screened a couple of times, but it's still being edited. And this is like, I think nearly 10 years in the making now. Well, well my point ultimately is that I still get the sense that despite the volume of movies he participates in, which is fairly high, it seems like a movie or two a year, it doesn't seem like it's two out of ten offers material while the others are just done for work's sake. It seems like it's still, uh, there's like a focus to pro- to stay on a trajectory kind of thing. Yeah, you could argue that because I think, yeah, you could argue that maybe, yeah, maybe he was doing kind of director video stuff because th- that it was just, you know, it was there for him and he was kind of working through and it was a paycheck. But again, you look at his like filmography in the last 10 years, there's definitely, you know, interesting stuff in there and a whole range of things that he's been working on that seem more, uh, you know, like kind of there's this there's, there's passion there and there's a kind of want to do it and to kind of try different things rather than just being in, you know, kind of director video stuff. For sure. And it's a, it's a shame they didn't get together again. I think uh, that would have been a fun to have a fourth movie of some kind, Ringo and... Oh, with Ringo, yeah, definitely. Uh, Jean-Claude, uh, but who knows, it might still happen, because uh, Ringo hasn't said he's done, and he's done two movies in the last three years, so... I hope so, mate. Yeah, that would be awesome. He, he, Ringo's, you know, he seems kind of back now, doesn't he? He seems like he's back on another run now, so I'd I, I kind of love to see him, you know, continue it. But as the movie continues, by the way, you become more curious about the seemingly mute cellmate that um, uh, Lord—it uh, was Lawrence Taylor, uh, wasn't it? Lawrence uh, Taylor, Lawrence yeah. Taylor played, and you're curious why, because he, he's killed so many of his cellmates. You wonder why? Why he hasn't he killed this one? And uh, it becomes quite interesting the way he uh, watches and. Um, sees the good that's happening and the bad that's happening in Jean-Claude's uh, development because uh, he talks of, maybe it's in the voiceover, that uh, he has ever written or has uh, saved writing about that hate gives me strength and hate makes you feel good, doesn't it? But yeah. that's the, the theme of the movie is that, oh, it sounds so cliches, but when you give in to hate, you might lose yourself, you know, just because Jean-Claude's character becomes physically stronger and... Mm. Uh, have more influence in the prison because uh, and becomes more stylish exactly oh he looks good he looks good he looks man. good man he looks good he looks to look ready for a night in brussels man <laughs> on the town but that's that, that aspect of the movie i quite like as well that uh while the voiceover seems a little bit too much at points i do like the fact that he simply observes at points even with disgust that he's seen someone who's thankfully quiet because that's his main pet peeve that none of his cellmates uh, were silent <laughs> but this one is mostly silent but I, I i won't spoil it but why he's watching him and what he's approving of and what he's not approving of that that's quite interesting thematically because he approves of him being stronger but then what do you do with that strength uh, you know he's almost like the voice of reason isn't he he's almost like the kind of you know commenting on kind of the morality of of what's going on and and it helps the film, I think. It's nice to kind of have this this commentary on it. Um, but yeah, Lawrence, Lawrence Taylor um, is my dad's favorite NFL player of all time. So shout out to Papa Williams. Oh, oh he's actually uh, an athlete. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolute, you know, beast, uh, legendary athlete. He's um, good part actor. Of, part of, yeah, he is. He is. He pursued like an act career after he, he retired. And uh, yeah, he was linebacker for New York Giants for like, 
12 years like throughout most of the well throughout the yeah, pretty much the 80s and early 90s and numerous problems with kind of drug convictions and mad behavior but absolutely incredible athlete and um he's, he's given a role of uh, a role of note here uh, not just like the, the like, like the baba of uh, the prison movies or anything. yeah of course <laughs> and i think ringo said i think uh, on the, again on the making of that i think maybe jean claude said that ringo specifically picked him to be in the film so you know, he knew what he's doing. He's got that physical presence there. But again, yeah, a great actor. And I think them the, the scenes together with them, there's obviously some very kind of harsh dramatic scenes, but near the back end, some very kind of sweet moments between them as well, which really worked for me. And there's a minor notes on some of the things in the fight scenes that I like. The, the, even when he's back to strength and uh, he is getting pummeled. And I like that Ringo doesn't do the expected together with David Leach, the expected in fights because he's pummeled and he's pummeled and you think he's gonna get up and do a well it will be a reverse thing but we don't get a no retreat no surrender moment <laughs> because he just keeps getting pummeled and pummeled and pummeled in in that movie it was obviously uh it was not uh jean-claude who needed to get into his head no retreat no surrender <laughs> but you know what i mean you know what shoe, I mean. she was on the other foot yeah in that film yeah I like that they go for the unexpected that he's not a he's not become a Superman just because he's now stylish and ready for Brussels, as you said. <laughs> <laughs> There's minor punch punching here, punch work so to say, and as they go down into the mud after having been punched, that tom needs to be done with a sort of quickness and effect. You know, so even a simple effect like someone getting punched and just hitting the mud quickly, not done through slow motion or like any stylish effect or anything but just going down hard that needs to be felt and i keep getting back to the fact that that is so much ringo's influence on this one that he then can transfer to his stunt uh, coordinating team and they, they respond like um, like you read about so i think they're not the centerpiece of the movie those fight scenes but i i like this the direction they do take because it's very non-stylish but they focus on delivering a a rough and gritty style which comes back to Ringo as well and uh, it's uh, it, it, I don't remember them like oh my god they were the best scenes in the movie but there are moments where you just go ooh well done he hit the bedpost great he hit the mud great Jean-Claude keeps getting pummeled and no one is saying no retreat no surrender I like this movie <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's so performance it's like it's careful it's concise it's well thought out what seems like you know, there's not a lot of thought put behind it because it's kind of so gritty and so kind of on the ground and, you know, it's not really elegant or, you know, this ballet-like choreography. It really is kind of well thought out and, you know, it has to be realistic because, again, as I say, yeah, people are going to get hurt if not, but on the screen, yeah, it's just kind of impact, man, and that's that's what Lamb always, always goes for, strives for. And it's not a, a sort of emulated Hong Kong style at all actually which, it's not which, really which, yeah. which still makes it fit Ringo's voice very well you know what yeah I mean? definitely yeah definitely because the tone the tone wise I think is very similar to kind of like a Hong Kong film almost like that, that, that kind of relentless kind of energy anyone could get hurt um, you know like a dangerous vibe going on I think is is very much akin to his, his older work um, but yeah like 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 you're saying that the action stuff does not feel like a Hong Kong film or but you know Ringo's never really his actions apart from a couple of times has never really felt like a you know Hong Kong action in terms of the traditional sense in, in which we think of it and even when he did seemingly do a big hip modern uh, 
Hong Kong heroic bloodshed movie, it turned into full contact instead, which yeah, just a was a different big F you to everyone else. Like, uh, okay, you want to see me do one? Let's, uh, let's have a look. <laughs> In Hell builds towards internal drama, whether you fight to get, uh, to get that uh, resolved or you resolve your struggles merely mentally. And um, you know, I mean, it's not the greatest drama ever told, but it comes with uh, maturity and a combination with violence that we talked about that's the two yeah two main main kind of points i think or big points you, you hit an eye on the head there and and i think i think jean claude maybe if you re-examine some of the 90s work you realize that his more quieter moments and his presence has always been solid but doing non-verbal big box office out on world screen type of movies might not have been the best choice for for the 90s you know you wouldn't want to do a non-verbal uh, scenario out of a sudden impact movie you know what i mean so maybe he just had to you sometimes you need to fall to then uh, regain yourself and then realize that w- what kind of cinematic strength you can provide are you saying that his and john g uh Avildsen's remake of Yojimbo is not good don't even know what movie you're talking about <laughs> uh inferno man it's uh it's well known as not a particularly great one in his uh, in his filmography, no, in either either lad filmography. <laughs> Why not? Okay, well there, there you go. So there there are uneven stretches, and uh, but who who has not uh, who hasn't uneven stretches uh, uh, as a performer and uh, filmmaker? But uh, I think um, it's 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 nice to see him. You know, you you brought that up. I think as far back as the Christmas special we did with, with the trivia that you you see Arnold trying to find new trajectories as a performer. Yeah, yeah. Even if it doesn't concern action, you see Jean-Claude doing so. Stallone, to a degree as well. Uh, and and may, I mean, maybe it's unfair, but one of the persons that do not seem to bother with that is Steven Seagal. And for my money's worth, he he's not interesting anymore because he's, he's uh, running his particular race and all the power to him. But I know for a fact I'm more interested in the new directions that those other persons are are uh, are engaged in. Yeah, I completely agree. I think you know, in Scott's case as well, like the the money's there, but the kind of passion to kind of change or to or to to grow as a performer is is obviously not there at the moment with him. But I'd like you know, I'd like to see him, the same thing as 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 the other guys that you mentioned. You know, to kind of maybe you know become a bit more self-aware and kind of poke fun at his image would would be would be cool and i think he's you know he'd do some quality work there i honestly do if, if, he'd, if he would kind of change his the pathways on now but uh, that's the end of my notes uh, in hell was a nice revisit and uh, i'm glad that it um, that it has a part of um, ringo Land's filmography because it's uh, the, the hollywood adventure or the western adventure yeah, there's no shame in it uh, but and it only got better the the first movie out of the gate maximum risk was the weaker one then it got better with replicant and i think it got even better with in hell definitely yeah there's definitely like um it builds up and this as i say it's the kind of least fun you know it's it, but it's it's the kind of best in terms of uh a, you know a cohesive dramatic piece and perfect outlet for you know van damme at this point in his career um showing off his acting chops with you know not a lot of script (laughs) yeah you wouldn't think uh, a movie that made people say i'm sweating thinking we're gonna hurt somebody (laughs) would be fun in the end i don't think uh, that uh, stress uh, was for a comedy and uh, (laughs) and in hell certainly didn't have any you know 
any of that stuff you know no the, the the only light stuff i think is when 451 and jean-claude's character they begin to talk a little bit towards the end and i think jean-claude says well like oh, well, glad i was the silent prisoner you know they talk a little bit about the fact that well i'm glad i'm not a talker essentially then. Otherwise, yeah some good stuff man towards the back end with those two yeah uh, okay so I'll, I'll i'll conclude my notes right there anything else you want to say about in hell um, not a lot. I have a few more bits. Van Damme's wife in this is the same actress who played the hooker in Replicant. Oh yeah, I recognised her now. Can't decide whether the music in this is amazing or terrible. Either way, it made me horny. So, oh Jesus that. Christ, Tom. Yeah. yeah. What? T- TMI. TMI. Oh, okay. I had to go and spoil it, didn't I? It's the movie with the techno soundtrack, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Really odd kind of strange techno soundtrack with a bit of kind of Eastern European kind of chanting in it and stuff. Do you know what it sounds like? An Eastern European, like, gay bar soundtrack, which is great, and I'm really into, so... Not not judging. We're, we all have different kinks. Yours is uh, Eastern European <laughs> disco, apparently. <laughs> Damn right, man. Alrighty. As for availability of In Hell, there's no immediate uh, high-definition option on either digital or streaming, seemingly. It, it used to be on Netflix in multiple regions, but uh, it might not have been HD on, uh, despite, because it uh, doesn't automatically mean that. But regardless, cheap DVD options exist. Uh, I got mine uh, very cheap, second-hand. Uh, Amazon Video, in the UK anyway, offers up uh, a standard-definition video for rent or buy. So uh, it's uh, you, you can get it for just a few pounds for instance um cheaply it, it's a columbia tri-star title so it's always always been widely available on, on dvd the making of was probably on my local rental back in the day because i've seen this movie once before but the dvd i bought from the uk does not have that making no. of so if you want to see it that, that exists online so uh, uh so you don't need to double dip uh, so to say if you do end up buying it digitally and want to see that making off because it it offers up more substance than your usual usual standard promo fluff piece because uh, people are talking about the fact that oh my god i'm scared <laughs> no one says that in a promo piece <laughs> yeah it's one of my kind of pet peeves that like promo stuff that's you know there's loads of it on a dvd rather than kind of uh, you know a making of documentary or something because promo stuff's good when the film's kind of you know it's out and it's generating interest but then in hindsight on a dvd it's kind of pretty useless unless it's got some good information on there which you know that one does exactly even if it's just short uh, little bits and pieces uh, that shows van damme is uh, it's liking where where this is taking him where ringo's taking him is quite sweet to see uh, at any rate, next time in the final episode, we conclude the Ringo Lamb saga, uh, for now anyway, depending on what happens with uh, Happy Ghost Free or the potential movies to come. The, there's, yeah, no, man. There, there's no new movies announced um, as, uh, as of uh, 2018 now. Well, we've gone back to a director's career in the past and recorded the bonus episode and we will do it again if need be. <laughs> Or maybe a regular full episode, who knows. But uh, we yeah, see, how, see how we're feeling. Exactly. But uh, for now, we uh, in the next episode, we're going to reach the end of his filmography as it stands now. And up for discussion will be his first solo directing venture in, at that time, uh, 12 years. Uh, and yeah, I mentioned man. solo directing venture because Triangle, Triangle was co-directed. And that movie is, the first solo one in 12 years, is 2015's Wild City, starring Lewis Koo and Sean Yu. Wearing a jacket properly. 
I think so. Yeah, he looked he looked dashing. He had learned. Confirmed. Jacket jacket confirmed. No, not as wide eyed and crazy anymore as and uh, stressed out as he was in uh, in a triangle and uh, all of that. But uh, good old Lewis. So he's um, even if you don't look at a filmography, who is in that movie? Just say Lewis Koo. You'll probably be right. Yeah, yeah, you're good to go. I mean, anything from the last like ten years, just yeah, Lewis Koo's in it. <laughs> I mean, uh, he's probably in SBL two and three, playing different characters. I'm just uh, fro- throwing out a guess there. That uh, no, he is. He definitely is. Yeah, just like Simon Yam was in SBL one and two, and uh, logically he couldn't play his character from SBL one into, but he's still in two because that's Excuse me, how Simon can do what he bloody well wants. Yeah, indeed, right. indeed. Okay. And he's even in Wild City, City 2, in a little bit part. But at any rate, we are done for this episode. For all your podcast on fire network needs, including the back catalogue of the director series on Ringo Lam and other directors such as Kirk Wong and Nam Night Choi, go to our website, podcastonfire.com. And that's all the information you need is on the website and in the show post in terms of relevant links to this episode and social media. So that's me out so uh, anything else you want to say tom in terms of your review archive or anything else in general that makes you that make you excited no <laughs> we want to end on a clean note <laughs> it's probably for the best mate no uh yeah great great time as always i hope everyone's uh, enjoyed it and one more in the bank to uh to come out which i'm looking forward to and two movies to uh to cover i mean uh i might as well say that we, we're gonna do wild city and as a quick take his very latest movie at the time of recording sky on fire which came out uh, the year after wild city but uh for now this is uh Kenobi, and with me was tom kw signing off for, for uh director series 26 or whatever on in hell so say good memory, goodbye man. tommy bye-bye